Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. It is a privilege, and it's an honor to already serve in the house and to serve in the kingdom before you ever become a father or a husband or a wife or a mother. It's an honor and a privilege to serve the king, is it not? Praise the Lord. And so today, I wanted to share just a few encouragements. I think God wants our fathers to walk out of the house today empowered and encouraged with what he has for you and what you have available to you and what he's given us in the model, what he's given us in his lesson and his example. Walk out of the house today empowered. The power of an apostolic father. You see, we've got us fathers and, and, and I look across this room and I see fantastic fathers all over the place. I see guys that have been impactful in my life that have reached out, cared for me. And I, and I don't know if you fathers really understand. Do you dads understand just how much of an impact you have in the kingdom and you have with the body just by reaching out to a young one, encouraging them, teaching them, being a Sunday school teacher, giving them encouragement, even instruction. And I had several of those throughout my time in the church from the time I was a 13-year-old young man, came into the church, didn't know nothing about nothing. But there were men there that, that recognized that these young men and young ladies need all the positive influence they can get and all the teaching and the wisdom they can get. And so remember, the role that you have as a father extends beyond just your household and your kids and your grandkids. But you have a tremendous impact on these young ones that are growing up. And that's a privilege and an honor. And I just want to empower you with that today. But we've got three as fathers, as apostolic fathers. And I'll explain why I sort of segregated that word, the power of the apostolic father. And that's not to take away from anybody else or guests sit in the house today. You might be wondering, what does apostolic father mean? But you'll understand as we move through, there's a power to it. There's a special thing about being an apostolic father. And God has given us a tremendous, tremendous opportunity, especially as we move forward. And we've got three very, in my view, we've got three very, very important roles that we get to play. They're awesome roles that God has given us as men in the church and as fathers. And I'd like to talk to you a little bit about those today and just give you a little bit of encouragement. Like I said, if you leave today feeling empowered, feeling like you've got the strength to do it and to make things happen and to shake the kingdom, then I think we've made our goal. In Jesus' name. First of all, as fathers, we're leaders in our home, obviously. You know, something that kind of occurred to me as I was preparing this lesson that you don't ever get to be a father until you marry somebody, right? Can I get an amen? Oh, they're waving me out on Sunday school. I thought they dismissed already. Sunday school kids, you can take off. It's my first day, so give me a little slack here, okay? They needed to hear that first part. That's why. So, so before you ever get to be a father, you got to have a wife. Amen? At least that's the way God designed it. world might tell you differently, but in our world, in this little black book right here, you got to be a husband before you're a father. And so God has given us a tremendous amount of model, a tremendous example. The word is, is, is just full of example. God designed the family union. He, there's, a, there's an order and an authority and specific roles that he's laid out. And one of the things that concerns me, and I just want to talk a little bit about the cultural attack that comes against God's word that's happening in our world. It's sometimes it seeps into the church just a little bit. But there are specific roles. There is an order that God has given. 
And it is a right order, and it is wonderful. And if we follow it, and we adhere to it, and stand strong on it, God will bless our homes. He'll bless our children. He'll bless our families in total, okay? But the culture that's out there wants to say, wants to change things. I don't know if you've noticed over the past, I don't know, 20 years or so, you watch a sitcom or sometimes these movies. Have you noticed that all dads are dumb? Anybody? You pick up on that? The dads are dumb. They're just the goofballs in the household and it's the strong, confident mother that steps in and takes care of everything and says, oh, honey, you're, you're just a caveman and a dummy. We'll take care of everything. And it's, it's pervasive. It's pervasive throughout all media. Now, if I'm, if I'm off on this, go ahead and tell me, but I see it all the time. As a matter of fact, in our house, we used to call that dad bash. And it was always something against dads. They work too hard. They're workaholics that don't care about the kids or they're just always gone or they're, or they're just dumb. And it's become kind of a joke. And I was reading an article the other day that was talking about Father's Day and it said, why does it seem that in churches, every time Mother's Day rolls around, we do a tremendous job of honoring our mothers, I think. Moms, do you agree with that? Right? We say wonderful things and we talk about the power of moms and the huge impact that they have and the hard work that they have and all that they go through to keep the household and work a job and raise the kids. And we should do that. We should honor our, our, our mothers and our wives. But the article goes on to say, well, why is it that when Father's Day rolls around, it's a lecture and we make jokes about dumb dads doing dumb things and breaking stuff and getting lost and their socks not matching and stuff like that, right? We do it. We slip into it. We, we, we do admit it, right? You've, you've been there. But I thought to myself, well, isn't that just a little bit of that pervasive culture that's slipping into the church. And it even slips into our families, innocently. But I want to come against the culture of this world. Do you not? Amen. Amen, in Jesus' name. And I think every once in a while it doesn't hurt to point those things out and say, well, some of it's innocent and that's okay. But in the reality of it, are we teaching our children, are we exampling to our children a secular culture that's wrong? Men are the leaders of the home. You may not disagree with that. And it's not to say that women are not also leaders. Obviously, you could see through scripture, if you read it properly, there is a co-equal operation of the home. Women are not to be subjected and put under our thumbs, but God gives specific instruction. The Christian home actually is a model of the kingdom. It's a model of Christ's church. The role of the husband is a model of Jesus' relationship to the church. And it gives specific instruction, distinct and separate roles. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21, starting at verse 21, says, submit to one another out of the reference of Christ. That scripture says, starts out that we submit to one another. Okay, everybody gets hung up on that next one. Verse 22, it says, wives, submit yourselves. But it starts out with one another first. And out of that is reverence for Christ. In other words, we're modeling the instruction he gave us on our roles as husbands and wives together. Then verse 22 says, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Now I'm not gonna go into a big long thing about submission and all that. It wasn't what that was about. The key is verse 25, it says, husbands love your wives just as the Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. It's a model. God has given us a specific model. 
And I'm saying all that so that you understand that God modeled the family roles, what they call in social science the nuclear family. A father and a mother together raising the children. God designed it. Anybody comes against that and says there's several other models, there's different ways to do it, you can modify, you can do things, that they, they can do what they want to do. I'm just saying that God designed the family and we adhere to that. And as apostolic fathers, we believe in that scripture, do we not? And mothers? Amen. Okay, so I don't want to be luxury, but I just want to establish that concept. The marriage and the household is Christ and the church. It's as simple as that. There's no gray area. It's specifically defined. Okay, now I realize that things happen. Sometimes it's mom and the kids and that's all. Obviously, those things do happen. Sometimes it's dad and the kids. Sometimes it's the kids in an orphanage. Sometimes it's lots of different variables. But what I'm here to say is, please don't let culture, don't let secular philosophy redefine the model that God created for us. Amen? Okay. As the leaders of our home, it's imperative that we uphold God's principles with our families at all times. We can't let up a little bit and say, well, yeah, sometimes it's okay for X, Y, Z to be the case, or yeah, my teacher told me that this is the way it should. No, those things do happen. It's not our job to judge those situations, but it is our job to stand up for what the word of God says, right? This is the power of the apostolic father. You're empowered and you're given license to do exactly that. Uphold your family the way God designed it. Deuteronomy chapter six Starting at verse 6, says it, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your gates. Now to me that says God's principles all the time. It's our job, fathers, to continuously reinforce God's word, his principles, and the way that he designed our families to be and the instructions that he gave us as fathers and husbands all the time. Not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, not just on holidays, but we have to be on it all the time. Amen? Our second role, of course, is a father. Now, we've, got, we've gotten married, done things properly. We have a spouse. We're learning every year to do things right and figure out how they work and they're figuring out how we work but our job is to love them and protect them and appreciate them and allow them to be co-leaders in the home and allow them to, to, to express themselves and to love and appreciate them. But you know one time, Brother Robert Trapani, anybody remember Robert Trapani used to do marriage retreats? He was a, he was a um, um, uh, excuse me, I think he was a psychologist, I believe, by trade. I think he went to school and he was, but he was also a pastor. And Brother Trapani would travel around, he would do these marriage retreats. And Brother Trapani would talk about the family and raising kids and all these awesome things. And I, we went to probably three or four of them. And they were fantastic. And there's things that stuck with me so well. And one of the things that Brother Trapani talked about are the things that the husband and the wife crave the most that would create happiness in the home. And he'd say, okay, I want to quiz everybody in here. What's the number one thing? Guys, don't answer this question. What's the number one thing that women crave the most that re- helps them to reach happiness? It's not money. It's not intimacy. It's not a credit card. Anybody got it? Who said it? Security. That's the right answer. 
They desire security more than anything. And so what we need to understand is that if there's discontent, there's happiness, there's fear, there's fighting, there's things going on, there could be a reason, and that is that we're not doing our job to produce security, which is an expression of our love for our wives. And so very simple. And so then he turned to the rest of the crowd and he said, okay, guys, what's your number one? And of course, there was a lot of laughter and a lot of giggling because all the ladies assumed it had to do with becoming a father. (laughs) But that wasn't it. That was not the number one answer. And sitting way back in the room, my wife can attest to this, the whole room was silent. They were all giggling about the, the answer. And way back in the room, we sat and I hollered out and I said, peace. And Brother Trapani said, yes, that's the answer. More than anything else, the man in the home craves peace. And so if we can figure out together and learn how to work this together and understand that she needs security and I need peace and we provide each of those things for each other, well, there we go. We've got the foundation for a fantastic relationship, right? And so if you have a peaceful home and you have security for your wife, there you go. And so it was a tremendous amount of teaching. He talked about raising kids. He said one time, one time a whole a whole carload full of teenagers he'd never seen before pulled up to his house. He had a couple of daughters. And uh, he said, this whole carload pulled up and his daughter popped up and said, okay, dad, I'm taking off with my friends. I'll see you later. And he said, oh, time out. Wait a second. Do I know these young people? And she said, well, no, dad, they're just my friends from school, blah, blah, blah. Get them in the house. Oh, dad, come on. We got to go. We got to go. No, 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 no. I need to meet these people. Dad, what's the big deal? He says, let me ask you a question. He says, you know my new truck that's parked out in the driveway right out there? Just brand new, just got it. She said, do you, he said, do you think that if, if a, a carload full of strangers popped up to the house and said, hey, I want to take your truck for a ride, I'd let them do it? She said, no, dad, no way. She goes, you love that truck. You've been saving forever and you don't even let me touch your truck. He said, well, then how much more do you think I would let them take my daughter? Right? Oh, man. So our role as a father, perhaps our greatest responsibility in being a Christian man is the role of the father. Father, Deuteronomy already told us that we constantly have to uphold the word to our families. The Bible gives literally tons of, of important instruction that we've got to follow. And here's just a, cue, a few key instructions from Scripture. Ephesians chapter 6 and 4 says, don't provoke your children. It means don't aggravate them. Don't, don't, essentially, it's kind of like saying, don't be mean to them. Don't aggravate or stress them, but raise them to be good young people in the faith. You can be contentious with your kids. You can parent the wrong way. You could push them away. There's a godly and a proper instruction. Proverbs 22 and 6 says, tell, tells us to be our, our child's first teacher. Train them up in the way they would go, and when they're old, they're not follow, they'll not fall away from it, right? They'll not be led away. We have to be their first teacher, Okay. And I can tell you from from great instruction that I got from good godly Christian men as I was growing up who warned me about these things. As soon as we became parents, the radar went on and the radar has never gone off. We've watched every friend. We've watched every event. We've watched their sports, their coaches. We've paid attention and we've watched. And when there was any semblance, any feeling that this kid's astray, a bad influence and not a good place to be, we cut it off. But see, we did what we could 
to let the kids know that ahead of time so that they understood when mom and dad have a problem, if there's something we see that's a danger for you, we're cutting it off. And not one time where we had to do that did we ever get an argument. My son made a friend one time not too long ago. Kid came over to the house, got into some shenanigans. I was really, really, really unhappy about it. He told me about it. I said, that's it. We can bring him to church, we can pick him up, he can come to our youth group, he can do whatever, but he's not coming to our house and no more stayovers and that's it. I got no argument. Because my son knew and understood what I was doing was I was protecting him from the wolves. My radar has never gone off and it's our job to always, always be aware. If we don't teach our kids God's word so they know him and they understand the principles and the importance of God in their lives, I guarantee you they will seek after the gods of this world. And they will suffer the disappointment and the emptiness of what it is to follow their flesh. We have to constantly expose them to the word of God and what is truly long satisfying and what's really fulfilling in life. They need to see that and feel it and they need to see us modeling it every day. I wasn't gonna get into this too much but I felt this morning I just, something popped up and I, I wanted to talk about it but I would love right now to be able to split myself in two, pack up my car, and drive around the country and talk to churches and youth groups about one subject, and that is sending your children off to universities and colleges and warn parents. Now, I'll start this out by saying I'm not against higher education. Two of my kids, well, Kyle graduated UW-Whitewater. My daughter's gonna graduate this year from La Crosse. My son's in tech school, he'll graduate this next year. Nothing against secondary education, but what I do have something against is the absolute insidious, nasty spirit that's waiting for your child to arrive on campus completely unprepared to defend who and what they are. Amen, right? I have example after example after example of Christian young people that I know from other churches in this district, from even here, that have left their home as good Christian young people, following the principles they were taught, living it, being in their youth group, praising and worshiping, showing up on campus and have those wolves standing there waiting to say, oh, so you're a Christian, huh? Well, let me show you what I've got for you. And they're wowed and they're amazed by these amazing professors and all this new world and new experience that they're opening them up to. And suddenly they've been questioning themselves. And they're surrounded by it, so it's pervasive and it gets into their minds and gets into who they are. My daughter's come home from, from lacrosse several times and told me some of the craziest stories about what the professors are saying in the classroom. Again, I have nothing against higher education but I want you to understand that if you're gonna be sending a child to secondary education, university or college, a secular college, you be prepared and you prepare that child that they will be attacked the second they land on campus. Every force that's there will tempt to undo everything we've done as parents to teach them good godly principles and challenge what they believe. And because they're not yet mature enough and they're not yet strong enough and maybe possibly not yet reinforced enough with the word and teaching, they are susceptible to be turned over to the secular thinking in the, these ideas, okay? Now, I don't want to get too far into that. I could preach a whole message on it, but I wanted to throw that in there. And if I could go around and I could go to church after church after church and just wave my hands and say, warning, 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 danger, danger, danger. Please, please, young people, understand. 
You need to hold on to the precepts that you understand in God's word. You need to hold on to the truth because they're going to try to pull it away from you. And once they do that, you're in trouble. Praise the Lord. First Timothy chapter five and eight tells us that we need to supply our family's needs. And I'm certain that means more than food and rent. It means their emotional needs, their communal needs, their, their relational needs. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that we have to seek the face of God, right? First, first Chronicles 7 and 14 tells us we have to seek the face of God. You know why that is? It's a dad and, and child relationship. It means keep tugging on his, on his road. You ever see a little kid do that? Mom, 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 mom. When do they stop? When does a child stop doing that? What's that? When you acknowledge them, yes, Sister Cassins is right. They'll stop when, you, when their face turns and looks at the child. Then they know they have your attention. Listen to them. Turn and look at them. We need to do that just as much as those, child, those children need to do that for us. But we need to be more to them than just a provider. We need to turn and look when they say, Dad, 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 Mom, Mom, Mom. Turn and look at them and hear what they have to say, Right? And I'm going to be, I'll be very honest with you. I've had times in my life where I was work busy and busy, busy. And, and my kids don't know this. I've never confessed it, but I'm going to confess it right now. There have been times. There's a couple of times I can remember specifically. I was so tired, so busy, so tired, and so wiped out. And one of my little guys came in and say, dad, dad, can we go out and throw the football? And I said, no, I'm just too, I'm just too tired. Later, later. And I felt horrible about it. And to this day, I've done everything I can to make up for those times when I did that because those times are gone. If you've ever seen my Facebook page, any of you that are connected with me, my Facebook page is a little banner picture of my kids. Way, way back, we went down to, to Gatlinburg and they're standing out on a porch and we took a picture. And I think, I think Matthew's just a little baby and Kyle and Maddie, they're all there. And I looked at that picture one day and, and my heart kind of broke a little bit because I realized something. I'm never gonna see them again. Those little people standing on that deck at the cabin in Gatlinburg are gone. I'm never going to see them again. I'm never going to hear the little smurfy voices. I'm never going to have to look down and hold a hand. Now, maybe I'll see them again in, in reflection as a grandfather, but I'll never see them again. And so those moments are precious. Apostolic Father, take hold of those moments. For those of you with babies, cherish every single moment. For those of you with toddlers, look at them, hear them. Force yourself up out of that chair and go out and throw the football with them. Now, I went on to be my kid's baseball coach and soccer coach, and I was a Cub Scout leader, and I did a lot of those things, and, and, and I participated, so I, want, I hope you don't get the idea I was a total deadbeat dad. But there were a couple of those times. My son Sam used to jump up on my on my, uh, I'd sit down in a chair at the end of the evening and uh, just wiped out. I worked a very stressful long hour job. And, uh, but when I'd get home, I'd sit down in the chair and he'd come over and he'd hop up on the arm of my chair and he'd throw his arm up over my shoulder and he'd look at me and say, how'd you doing, dude? <laughs> I remember those days when I would walk through the front door and they were still little enough and excited enough, they'd come running up to me and I'd usually have one or two of them wrapped around a leg. Dad's home, dad's home. Cherish those moments. Proverbs 13 and 14 tells us about sparing the rod and spoiling the child. Talks about discipline. We live in a world that's, that's ironically, it just cracks me up. I hear teachers sometimes in our, in our teacher 
meetings and stuff like that in the school, and they talk about how, oh, these kids or these parents don't do this. No, they're, they're so hard and it's so difficult. Not talking about my children, thankfully, but just echoing their issues with other families and kids that they deal with. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, isn't it you people that came up with the timeout deal? Isn't it you people that said spanking your child is hitting them? Isn't it you people that took discipline out of it? Isn't it you folks that took prayer out of schools? And now you're complaining about the conditions that you have because discipline has left our world. It's a terrible, you gotta be their friend and you gotta put them in the timeout. Now, if, you got, if you're a timeout parent, and I'm not criticizing you, but I'm just telling you, these are the folks who started that routine and now they're dealing with disciplinary actions, lack of morals, no foundation, no control, no respect for the, for the uh, older folks. The apostolic father knows how important discipline is. And I don't, I'm not talking just about corporal punishment. I'm talking about other disciplines. There are other disciplines besides getting out the wooden spoon or a paddle on the backside. There are dis- disciplines like respect and honor for your parents, right? There are disciplines that don't include corporal punishment. The story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 shows us that dads never give up on their kids and never stop loving them regardless of their choices. Folks, if, if you've got one wandering or two wandering, I know that the apostolic father continues to love them no matter what that situation is. And in love, you pray for them, wrap your arms around them, care for them, talk to them when you see them. Does that mean that you're condoning whatever it is that they're due, the lifestyle that they've chosen? Of course not. And you can let them know that. Son, you know I expect you to be living your life for God. I'd like to see you at church. You need to be there. When you sever yourself from the body, parts that are severed from the body eventually wither and die. But I love you, son, and I'm telling you this because I want you to be serving God because one of these days that trumpet's gonna sound and it's gonna be your last shot. There's nothing wrong with talking about that apostolic father, but keep on loving them no matter what. All right? Dads pray for their kids. First Chronicle 29 and 19 is a glimpse of King David praying for his son Solomon. Solomon. Make sure your kids know that you pray for them. That's really important. I'll tell you one night, and some of you maybe have heard this story, but one night I had a dream, so powerfully vivid. It was about my daughter Maddie, and she might have been about four or five years old at the time. And I'm in a room, and it's totally dark, and there's a bed, and there's a shaft of light coming down in the bed, and there's my daughter laying in bed. And I thought, oh, that's my daughter. And so I approached the bed, and I walked up, And she's laying in bed, and I looked at her face, and I saw the most horrific, nasty, snarling, angry, evil-looking thing. She was growling and hissing and making terrible faces. And immediately, I was stricken in terror. I mean, I was afraid. And I remember in the dream that I jumped back, and I started backing up, shaking in fear. But something came over me. Something said, apostolic father, you should not be backing up. And so when I got composure of myself, I thought, I've got Jesus' name. I've got the power of the Holy Ghost. And so I ran right back up to that bed and as hard and as loud as I could, I said, in Jesus' name, you've got no place in my daughter. In Jesus' name, get out. I felt an empowering that was strong and the power of God moved in that situation and in an instant, her face changed right back to that sweet little darling little girl and she popped up and she said, hi daddy. And I woke up from the dream. 
And I got out of bed and I got down on my knees and I just wept. Because I said, thank you, Jesus, for the power that we have over the things that were going to come against our children. Thank you, God, for the power that we have in prayer, in worship, that we could come against that are going to attack our children. Make no mistake, the devil wants to take your children. He does not want to see this lineage continue forward into the future. He doesn't want your children praying. He doesn't want your children preaching or becoming ministers or Sunday school teachers. The devil wants to take them out, but apostolic father, you have a power within you to stand there and say, in Jesus' name, you have no place in my family. You've got no place in my home. You've got no place in my life. Get out. And he will do it, the Bible tells us. I remember several times over the course of when my children were much younger, waking up in the middle of the night. I remember one time, it was so powerful woke up in the middle of the night and I just, this incredibly powerful urge to pray for my children. Got up out of bed, they were both sleeping in their, in their rooms and I got up out of bed and knelt down by the side of their bed and I reached a hand up and I put a hand on my daughter's shoulder and, and, and just sat there and wept and rocked and I had no idea why. I didn't understand what was happening but there was something that God put on me to pray for my children. At that time, I don't know why. And as I felt that pass, several minutes I was in there, probably 10 or 15 minutes. And I stood up and I started to walk back into my bedroom and it hit me again, but this time for my son. I went in there and did the same thing. And several, over, several times over the course of rearing our children, God impressed on me powerfully to pray for my children. It's amazing what God can do and he'll work with you if we just take on the role of the apostolic father, take the stance in our homes, be the leader that he's calling us to be, be the minister and the power that he's giving us, he'll work with you. And thirdly, our role is a spiritual warrior. And folks, if you don't understand it, if you don't know apostolic father, we are at war. There is no peace time for you. The minute that you gave your life to God, repented at this altar, received the Holy Ghost, got baptized, the devil put a target on your back and you are at war. Well, I don't want to be at war. I I just like worshiping. I I don't agree with you. It doesn't matter. You're at war. Ephesians 6 and 12 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The Christian father is in the midst of a spiritual war right now, whether you like it or not. And from this time, you declare your faith, you repent and you get baptized and you're filled with that spirit. You're joining the army one way or the other. Joining the war, excuse me. Proverbs 24 and 6 tells us, for by wise counsel, thou shalt make thy war. It's the foregone conclusion. It's not an if, it just simply is. And as a warrior in this movement, as a warrior in God's army, you have three choices. Now, in the real army or or the armed services, you've got the same three choices, and they parallel. Number one, you can enlist. Okay, now, when you enlist, many of you that were in the military, any fathers in here in the military? You can correct me. Okay, I see a few. When you enlist, you're volunteering. You're you're stepping up and saying, I'm going to do this. And you you get a lot of privileges for doing that. You get to choose perhaps where you're going to serve, maybe the discipline that you're going to go into, whether it's artillery or this or that or certain areas. The same thing applies, I believe, in the Christian world. When you enlist, when you step up and say, yes, I am going to do this and I'm moving forward, I'm going to 
take on this role, you're getting ahead of the devil. You're taking one step ahead of him and you have a lot of power and a lot of ability. Your radar is up and you'll be ready. You also have the choice to be drafted. Now in this particular environment, if you get drafted, we haven't had one for many years, but if you get drafted, they tell you what to do. They throw you into the circumstances whether you want to or not. You have no idea where they're gonna, where they're gonna stick you and you're gonna be a low-ranking dude when you're drafted, okay? The guys that were drafted into Vietnam were put on the ground and sent into the jungles. Christian father, apostolic father, don't get drafted. Don't wait till something happens. Don't wait till you get thrust into a situation because you thought everything was okay and you thought it was all set and good and I took them to Sunday school and I let the Sunday school teach them, teach them and I, they were at church and they heard praise and then something happens and you're not prepared for it because you're gonna get thrust into a situation and you're gonna have to catch up and man, is that gonna steal your joy and man, is it gonna take your strength away and it's gonna shake your world. Don't get drafted into this situation enlist. Step up now and say, I'm stepping up and I'm going to be a warrior in this fight. The third choice that you have, and some do, and I hate to see it, and unfortunately I've seen it over the years a few times, you can desert. You can hit the road. This is too hard. I can't do this. I don't want to be a part of it anymore. There's more going on in Canada than that I want to get involved in. You can ignore it but it'll come back later. You'll never be able to run away from it. So praise God and hopefully we never desert. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 32 and 34 says, and what shall more, uh, shall I say, I do not have time to tell about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David or Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of the lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. How about that? He says, I I can't tell you about all those stories. You can go back and read them. You can read about Gideon and Japheth, all of those. But that's a promise to you right there. That comes from Hebrews chapter 11. The same chapter that says, by faith, this happened, by faith, Moses, by faith, Abraham, by faith. It's accomplishment after accomplishment after accomplishment with God's backing and a little bit of faith. And he promises, he promises you'll shut the mouths of lions. You'll defeat your enemies. Praise the Lord. They were all strong men. They were faithful men. And they were weak. They had weaknesses. Good Lord, do I have weaknesses. But sometimes God turns them to strength just when I need him. My favorite part is that they became powerful in battle. Doesn't say that before battle they geared up and got powerful. It doesn't say that afterwards they learned something and they got powerful and then they're ready for it. It says in battle they got powerful and not as a result of it. Christian Father, please keep fighting. You have the power and God is promising you victory. Ephesians chapter six goes on to tell us just how we're to fight the spiritual battle. Take on the whole armor of God that you can be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. It's a belt. 
is what they're talking about. This is a symbol of the, the Roman army armor. We've talked about this before. When it says having your loins girt about with truth, it's talking about covering the reproductive soft areas. Not to be graphic, but that's an important tender area. But in the spiritual realm, it's talking about reproducing what God has given us. We've got to protect that. We can't veer off of that and let that be damaged. We've got to keep focusing on taking what we have and God gave us and extending it to our children. So we've got to reproduce in the kingdom. And, and if you're not girded in truth, in other words, walking in truth, the right way, that's what they're saying. Reproduce the right way. You understand? You have to be protecting over that. And have the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate, covering the heart. There's two battlefields that the devil works on us, Christian Father, and that is our minds and our hearts, and they're directly linked. And we've got to have that breastplate. You've got to put this armor on every day. Cover your heart, because we know the Bible says no one knows the heart is deceitfully wicked. It's got to be covered in righteousness all the time. If it's not, then the wicked things will start to prevail. We'll slip off. We'll lose. The devil will stick a knife right in the center of your chest, spiritually speaking. It says to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, I believe what that means. It's talking about our Christian walk. Now, you can walk in a lot of different directions, but if you're in the gospel, if you're in the truth, there's a narrow and straight way that we have to walk. You have to have your feet prepared with the truth, the whole truth, all of it, because if you're not strong in that area and false doctrines or strange things that come along are gonna get into your head or get into your heart and you're gonna start walking off in another path. You gotta have your feet shod with the full truth, A to Z, Genesis to Revelation, the entire truth that God gave us. And it says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Man, sometimes, you know, faith is a state of flux. Christian warrior, Christian fighter. Faith is not a constant. You can say, I'm a great and faithful man. I believe everything God says. And it doesn't work like that. Our faith, faith goes up and down like a roller coaster. You get sick and our faith drops. We pray for one another. Build your faith back up. We have challenges. We get fired from our job or we have a tragic medical event in our family. And faith goes like this. And that's why it's our job to stand side by side together and build each other's faith. That's why the Bible says for us to put our hands on one another and pray for one another. Because we're imparting faith onto that next person. We stand in the gap for our fellow Christian fighters. You have to have the shield of faith. Well, how do you build? How do you have a good, strong shield? You continue to attend your services, be here in this church, hear the testimonies of the, of the Christians you walk with, be a part of these great worship services, see the miracles that God does, feel God working in a service. It builds your faith, it strengthens you. You've got to have a shield that's strong. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And of course, the, he the helmet covers the mind. The worst battlefield in the spiritual realm there is is the mind. If you don't have that helmet on, the devil's gonna get in your ear. He messes with your mind. If he gets you alone and gets you off to the side and you're not attending, you're not fellowshipping, you're not hearing the word, he'll get into your head and bring you down. I'm not worthy, I'm not this. He'll tell, whatever he needs to tell you to bring you down. We've gotta have the helmet and the sword of the spirit, of course, is, which is the word of God. And the sword, as you know, is a defensive and an offensive weapon. But the only way to sharpen it, instead of wielding a dull metal clunk, have a sharp sword, is to get into this word and study and teach and listen. Grab tapes, listen to, listen to other preachers. Be at service when the word is being preached. You never, ever know 
when God is gonna deliver something through one of these ministers that is the exact thing you need, the exact tool or weapon that you need for the next spiritual battle that you're gonna face. I promise you, you Christian father, apostolic father are gonna face more battles, more challenges are coming. And now more than ever, we have got to gird up. We have got to shield ourselves and we've got to be prepared. Enlist in this thing. Stand up. And finally, verse 18 says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. In conclusion, I want to talk about just a few more of the weapons, and I'm going to be closing, the weapons that go with the armor. We already talked about the word of God and prayer. It's actually, it's prayer that puts the armor on, isn't it? Everything has to start with prayer. Not this Monday night, but next Monday night. Family prayer. Do you have someone that's wandering? Is there a lost loved one that you care about? Is there something happening in your life, in your family? Have you completely prepared for the spiritual war that's ahead? Prayer, every single day, every opportunity. When the church is open, if you can be here, come and pray. Build your faith, put on the shield, etc. It's the most powerful weapon that we have. Also, praise, the authority of Jesus' name, the shout and joy. We don't shout anymore like we used to. Remember, shout with the voice of triumph, shout with the voice of praise. Do you know that in the Bible, the shout is a very, very powerful thing? It's, it's the thing that troubled the waters at Bethesda, that brought the angels, that brought the healing. Your shout, apostolic fathers, is powerful. The devil is the prince and power of the air. He runs the airwaves. You can turn on your radio and I can prove it to you in about 15 seconds. Why don't we have our voices? Why don't we use the shout? Why don't we shake the foundations of hell with our shouts, with our praise? What happened to the days when the Christian father jumped up speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, and shouting the victory and making things happen in our church? I think we have a day that's coming that we need to do it again. We're far too quiet. We've, we've, we're pretty subdued. I understand that. We've had it really, really good. God has blessed us mightily. But we're starting to slip a little bit. We're starting to lose a couple of those really awesome apostolic father traits that we need. Wouldn't it be awesome if right this moment every father in this place stood up and began to shout, speaking in the spirit, and shake the foundation of this place? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I cannot emphasize enough, by the way, praying and worshiping in tongues. The spirit, the evidence that spirit's there, the power of the spirit. The devil hates it. He doesn't want to hear it. It shakes him. He fears. And yet we're quiet. We praise and we worship. But I'm talking about that real old-fashioned apostolic shouting, praising, and worshiping that the devil hates. You might, well, Brother Cordell, I'm just not an emotional guy. I just don't get into all that. Yeah? Let me go run my truck into your new car. Let me grab your wallet and rip up all the $20 bills that are inside. This is the power of the apostolic father. We are leaders in our homes. We are great dads to our children. And we are warriors in the field of spiritual battle. And I'm la you can stand with me. I'm rapping with Joel chapter 3 and verse 9. 
Joel, this is the prophet who prophesied this pouring out of the Spirit upon all men, talking about the time when the Spirit of God is going to just run through this world. There'll be great revival. In chapter 3 and verse 9, Joel says, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. And let all the men of war draw near. And I would love nothing more for than today. Every father in this place, every man, every Christian warrior in this place who's ready to come down to this altar and lift up your hands. And and families, come with them. Come with your dads. And let's really lift the praise up today. Pray for you. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.